Morning, everyone. Morning. Lovely to be here. As, as Lauren already said, I am the lovely Dave Halls. Good to see you all. <laughs> Great to be here. Uh, today, we are carrying on in our series in Ephesians. We're going back a little bit. I think last, last week, you guys were a little bit further forward. This week, we're going to be in Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 14. And this series is all about identity. It's all about asking the question, who am I? What defines our identity? And what we've found so far, uh, I think, is that that isn't defined by what other people say about us and what they think about us. It's not even defined by what we say and think about ourselves, but it's all about who God says we are. Um, I wonder if anyone here is like me, and you're very prone to procrastination, you very easily get sucked into being distracted, particularly online. YouTube is just a massive time sponge, that's what I find, but I remember... A while ago, I was, I was supposed to be doing something, and then I got distracted. I was looking on YouTube, and I started watching all these videos of babies that had been given wedges of lemon or lime for the first time. Have you ever seen those? Brilliant. So the baby's like, oh, food, brilliant. Never had it before. Sticks it in, and then it's, it's gold. It's absolute gold. I can see a mixture of some people are really on board with this. I'm feeling a lot of judgment at the same time, but... <laughs> So I saw this video, this was a long time ago, and I thought, man, one day I would love to do that. Now, what I found very quickly was that no parents were willing to give me their, their baby and a lemon and, and try this out. Um, amazingly, 10 months ago, uh, my wife and I, Hazel, we had a little baby boy, which was brilliant. And standing there in the hospital room, seeing tiny and cute, and it was amazing. And in my mind, I thought, bingo. <laughs> This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Now, right there and then, probably a little too soon. So I gave it some time. A few months went by. He'd went from milk to kind of, you know, more purees and mashed up things. And I thought, oh, can I get some lemon curd in there? Can I, what can I do? Still wasn't the right time until a couple of months ago, we were out having lunch somewhere. Hazel orders her food and she orders a glass of Diet Coke. What is floating in the Diet Coke? A massive wedge of lime. Oh boy, here we go. It's going to happen. So she finishes her drink, and I fish out this lime. I'm very excited. It's been months building up to this moment. I'm like, Judah, would you like this? I'm going to put it into his hands. Would you like to see what happened when I gave it to Judah? Here we go. He liked it. He enjoyed it. I was so annoyed. Months and months of thinking, this is going to be gold. This is what I wanted to happen. Right there. Or even better, that was the reaction I wanted. I know it's a little bit sick, but I, <laughs> one day I'm going to get a really potent lemon. I think what happened was, we should probably move away from that picture. It makes me look bad. I think what happened was this lime had been sitting in the Coke and it kind of diluted it a little bit. It wasn't quite as potent. Because our expectation would be, as soon as that lime hits your mouth, it's like, Whoa, it's an explosion of flavor. There'll be a bit more of a reaction. When we're talking about our identity in God, one of the things that God calls us to be is distinct, to be different from those around us. And that's something that we see throughout the Bible. You know, God's chosen people, they're called to be distinctive. They're called to live life in a different way and have a different standard to those around them. In Revelation, it talks about not being lukewarm, but being hot or cold. Jesus talks about being the light of the world. You know, light is on, like, on a hill. It's not hidden away and it pushes back against the darkness. He talks about salt not losing its saltiness. 
you know, lime, not losing its liminess. You know, this, these are the kind of things that Jesus is wanting us to be a distinct people. We have to be like that lime where there's this potency, this kind of difference about us. And actually, if that is part of our identity, that's to be the norm for us as followers of Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to read First Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. It's on the screen behind me. But I get the choice now of who gets to be the Bible monitors. And this is oh, the power, guys, it goes to my head sometimes. Okay, why don't we have Levi and Jero visiting? Hey, Levi and Jero, up you come. Let's give these guys a massive cheer. The legends that they are. Bibles are right. Seeing the number of Bibles, it maybe wasn't a two-man job, but you guys can do this. You can, okay, or you can sit down, whatever. If anyone wants a Bible, stick your hand in the air. And it will be delivered. To, here we go. Here we go. Just grab him, man. Let's go. Huh? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. If, if it's really got to be a team effort, let's do this. Okay. So, hand in the air. I feel like we really need to justify this. So, like, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get some Bibles. Great. Great. Fantastic. And then, right there. Brilliant job. Awesome stuff. So, we're going to be... Thanks, lads. Let's give them a round of applause. That was great. Quality Bible monitoring there. Okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. Here we go. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. We're going we're gonna to unpack that a bit as we go because there was a lot in there, but I feel like I've seen, when we're talking about being distinct, I feel like I've seen moments of that in my life. I've seen times where, um, you know, I've, God has kind of called me to stand out a little bit, and I felt that other people have noticed that, um, but I'm not sure if that's how I see myself all of the time. Most of the time, what I feel is incredibly ordinary, and I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe I'm in good company. But the amazing thing is that God loves to use ordinary people. You look through the Bible, it's not like he picks the superstars. He, he picks the ordinary folk and he makes them stand out for him. And we're going to look at a couple of ways this morning in which we as followers of Jesus are distinct from the world around us. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, this might just be a helpful little insight into think, well, if I did follow Jesus, what might my life look like? How might it be different? So we're going to be asking the question, who am I? How are we called to be a distinctive people? What is it that makes us distinctive? The first thing is that we are purpose made. Now, when I was about 11 years old, um, I used to play football for um, a wee team, and uh, we weren't fantastic. One day we got invited to go to our local kind of proper team, Berry FC. I can see the excitement on your faces, but Berry FC, they're a League One team, not really that great, but 
for us, this was a big moment. This was like a proper team. They had their own stadium and all that kind of stuff. And we got a tour of the place, got to go to the changing rooms, got to see the pitch and all that kind of stuff. And we're doing this tour. And then the coach comes up to us and goes, right, lads, bit of a surprise for you today. There's going to be a match later on. And all of you guys are going to put on these big coats and you are going to be the ball boys for the day. We're like, oh, amazing. We're really excited about that. Basically, the ball goes off the pitch. You run and get the ball and kick it back in. But it's, it's like front row seats. You can't get any closer to where the action is. So we were really excited about this. Um, as I said, I am a bit of a procrastinator, particularly as a child, very much a space cadet, really not paying attention a lot of the time. But the game, the game kicks off. Me and the rest of the team are kind of spread around the pitch and everything's fine, the crowd's cheering, goals are being scored, everything is okay. And I'm, I'm kind of half watching the game, and I notice that the crowd behind me is getting louder. And time goes on, and they're getting louder and louder again. There's maybe about a thousand people there. And it's not like they're, it's not like they're cheering, they don't seem to be happy, they seem to be angry about what's going on. I'm like, that's a bit weird. And I look on the pitch, none of the players are moving. And I think to myself, well, no wonder the crowd is angry. I mean, they paid good money to be here, and the players aren't even doing anything. This is ridiculous. And time is passing, and it's like they're getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier. And I noticed that all the players, not only are they stopped, but they're all looking in my direction. They're all, all their eyes are on me, thinking, this is very strange, what is going on? The crowd is getting louder and louder until eventually someone behind me goes, just get the ball, like that. And I'm like... Oh, and I look behind me, and the ball has been sat there for like, probably like a good three or four minutes, which in football is quite a long time. Like that's, you know, that's, that's, that's like stoppage time there effectively that I've taken up. So I've just been standing there, and like everyone's looking at me. I turn and look at the ball, and I'm like, and what am I going to do? All eyes are on me. I have a decision to make. And in that moment, I turn around, and I fold my arms, and I stay put, and I don't do anything. Now... To this day, I have no idea why I decided to make that decision. I think, I think in my head it was like, maybe if I just pretend I haven't noticed, then people won't think it's my fault. Or like, I don't know, I just, maybe I just froze under the pressure of the crowd. But after running, maybe like three to five minutes off the clock, that was what I decided to do. The reality was, that day, I had one role. I had one very specific job and straightforward job to do. It was get the ball. That was it. When we ask this question of who am I, one of the questions that normally follows that is what am I here for? What am I here to do? What's my role? What's my purpose on this earth? And that is the question that the majority of people are going to spend their entire lives trying to unpick. But for us as followers of Jesus, God tells us really plainly, you have one purpose, you have one role. And we read it earlier in verse 11. It tells us we are chosen by him for the praise of his glory. That is why we're here. That is why we were put on this earth and why there is breath in our bodies. It is to give praise and to give glory to God. In, order, in other words, in everything that we do, we're to be like lifting him up. We're to be shouting about his glory. We are created to say to him, God, you are incredible. You are holy. There is no one like you. And we're to celebrate him in everything that we're doing. 
And hearing that answer of, of what is your purpose, why are you here, I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know if that is something that confuses you or excites you or what your reaction to that is. But we are made to glorify him. I think, why? Is God, why does God need this? Is he insecure? Why does he need all of these people telling him how great he is? And actually, the reality is that God doesn't need it at all. We're not telling him anything that he doesn't know. He is incredibly secure in himself. He's not an insecure God that needs to be praised all the time. That's not what's going on here. Actually, it's about the fact that he is worthy of our praise. I'm sure we've all had a moment where we have seen someone do something incredible, whether that's we've been to like a, like a musical performance, like a gig or something, uh, or we've been to see a play or you know, something like that, some kind of like show or performance, and someone's done something, we're like, oh, wow. Like, what is the response in that moment? It's like, eh, like applause, right? Everyone kind of gets into it, and you know, just, you know, bit of applause. You just kind of do it naturally. If we get really excited, you might do what I do. You might have a bit of applause and then go, woo, like that, you know, just a little like, woo, just to let people know that you're really into it. Um, occasionally, you know, I know we're, we're Scottish and we're reserved, but occasionally if we see something that's like fantastic, we're just like, wow, stand to our feet, massive cheer, like this is incredible. And if you think back to times in your life where you've had that response to something of just being like, whoa, this is amazing. Imagine in that moment if you just kind of suppressed all those emotions and just sat down in your chair quietly while everyone around you is just going crazy. That would be a really odd thing to do. That wouldn't make sense. Because it makes sense in that moment to make some noise, to celebrate that. And in a small way, that's kind of what it's like with God. God is so much more worthy of our praise than, you know, any performance or anything we could ever see, obviously. But he doesn't need this stuff. He delights in it. He loves it when his children give him praise. It's something about our our, our, our celebration and our adoration of him just touches his heart as a father. And I think, when, when, I, when I hear that, and when I think about that, the fact that what I do like, kind of touches God's heart, I think, God, why do, why do you care about me? Why do you care what I do? Why does it matter how I praise you? He doesn't need my praise, but the fact remains that he places such high value on it that it's so important to him that it makes me think, wow, God, you must really love me then. And that's a really secure place for us to live from. Wayne Gruden, who's a, a famous theologian, puts it like this. He says, we might think that we have no importance, but we are created to glorify him. And so we are important to God himself. There can be no greater measure of significance or importance than this. The fact that God wants to hear our praise and that it means something to him, that makes us so important and significant. And when we're talking about identity and trying to, you know, unpick this stuff, that is a really secure place to live from, knowing that our praise is important to God. That gives us a real sense of security and self-worth. 
You know, this idea of our purpose and what we're here for was summed up beautifully um, in a thing called the Westminster, Westminster Catechism. There we go. In the 17th century, this was the Church of Scotland and Church of England at the time coming together to say, like, what is it that we believe? What are the things that are important to us? And the first thing that they came up with about what our purpose is was this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I love that because it's like, yeah, we're to glorify him because he's worthy, because he deserves it. You know, and God has, you know, God doesn't need to make that an enjoyable process for us. Like he could just demand that of us because he's God and he can do what he wants. But the other side of it is that we get to enjoy this. This is a two-way thing. Although we're called to glorify him and devote ourselves to praising him, God in his grace and his kindness, he wants us to experience joy. He wants us to experience peace and fulfillment and excitement and freedom all at the same time. We don't worship this unknowable, hidden God who's up there in the clouds and we have no relationship with. And it's just, you're just called to worship him. He's like, no, I want to have a relationship with you. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We get to enjoy him. And that's good news. I I loved, you know, there was a a moment this morning in worship, for me anyway, just when towards the end when people were just singing out and there was lots of space. And it just felt like, oh, wow, we were just really meeting with Jesus in that moment. And I love those times where it's like, I just find that God meets me in the sweetest ways in those moments. There's like a simplicity to that. It's like everything else melts away and it's like, it's just about you, God. I want to get a little bit physics-y right now, a little bit science-y. Is that okay? Are you with me? Um, and when I say that, I'm talking like GCSE level physics. It's probably not going to be that uh, incredible. But anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone's heard of uh, resonant frequencies. Hmm. This is, you know what, this is the third time I've spoke this message, that's the first time I've had any positive response from anyone, so Ellen, you must be an intelligent bunch, well done. Not saying anything about any of the other sites. Um, so, resonant frequencies, every object has one, and it has to do with vibrations. If I go and start tapping this pulpit at, like that, five times a second, or whatever that is, not particularly fast, this will start vibrating at five times a second, that's, we get that. But... My hand is quite limited to how fast it can go. We now have motors and machines that can, you know, vibrate really, really quickly. And so we could get this up to 100 times a second or 1,000 times a second or whatever. And for every single object, it has a resonant frequency. It has a frequency of vibration where if you hit that point, it's like all of a sudden it just starts to come alive. It's just like something happens where it just kind of jumps up and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? So if you've ever been on a bus and you're on the top deck of the bus, you might notice that sometimes when the engine goes to a certain kind of uh, speed or if like you're just waiting, like the chairs on the top will just start to go, and just start jumping up like that. And it's like, why is that happening? I don't know if anyone's ever noticed that. Or in your car, the cup holder, maybe you're driving along and all of a sudden it just starts spitting coins at you and jumping up and down. You're like, whoa, what's going on? It's like, there's a war happening. Or if you've got uh, a crystal glass, this isn't a crystal glass. I'm not going to try it. It's not going to work. But <laughs> for a second, I was like, maybe it'll work. But you know that thing where like, you, you'd wet your finger and then go like that, and it would go like that? That's the same idea. It's like it's reaching its resonant frequency, and it kind of comes alive in that moment. This is actually 
why we've been created, this thing about praising God. God has made us, and he's made known to us through his word that this is why we're here. And when we tap into that, when we choose to live that out, what happens is it's like we are, it's like we're like that glass in that moment. It's like we've found our natural frequency. It's like we've found that point where we just come alive and we resonate. When we're so lost in the heart of God and of who he is that it's like something within us just goes, ah, and just kind of bursts out that we come alive in him. And as we do that, as we glorify God and enjoy him, it says in scripture that he rejoices in us and he rejoices over us in singing, with singing as well. When we're truly living out this purpose, when we're resonating like that glass, it is like our lives sing. And there's something about that that's, that's attractive. There's something about that that's distinctive. And when we're talking about being different from those around us, just our lives kind of singing out in this way catches other people's attention. They can't help but notice it. So it's like as we orientate our lives to give God praise and glory and to make that our purpose, to make that our main focus, it causes other people to see him, maybe for the first time. We have a job to do, and it's straightforward, but like me being the ball boy, often we can take our eyes off the ball and not do it. It's really simple, but so often we make, we make the mistake of failing to make our lives about him, and we make it about us instead, and not to glorify him and to lift him up, but to glorify ourselves. We can so easily slip into that. But it's like, as soon as we do that, as soon as we choose to step into just making it about ourselves instead, it's like we're not in that resonant frequency kind of zone anymore. We're not at this point where we're coming alive and our lives are singing about who Jesus is. We're just all about ourselves. And it's like we're not distinct anymore. We're just like everyone else. You know what I love about this? None of this is based on our personality, our talents, our charisma, our previous track record, but it is all based on Jesus. Paul says time and time again in Ephesians, do this in Christ, in Christ. And we can only do it in him. We can only make that choice to consistently choose to live for Jesus instead of ourselves in his strength. So if today we find that we're not in that place where we're living for him fully and you know wanting to give him glory and everything, Let's just realign ourselves this morning. Let's just come to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I know I need you to help me do this. Let's not walk away knowing that we're not fully in the purpose that he's called us to. But let's just say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to glorify you in everything I do. So that's the first way that we're distinct. And the second and last thing is that we are distinct because we're spirit-filled um, a couple of months ago, I was visiting my parents in Glasgow, and we went around to see my granddad, who we call Papa. Anyone else have any grandparents called Papa? Yes. Yes. Brilliant. We'll all hang at the end. It'll be great. Um, I, I didn't know if it was just, just our family, but yeah, a few other people. So Papa is incredible. He is 93. Currently, his life revolves around the three Bs. That's bingo, the bookies, and BT Sport. That is his life. That's his routine. 
Uh, but he's amazing because he is in great shape for his age. He'll get out of the house every day and go for a wee potter about. And like, I hope I'm like half as active as him when I'm, if I get to that age, that'd be amazing. Um, but as brilliant as he is, my mum, she worries about him. Of course she does. And so a while ago, she got him a mobile just so she, she could kind of keep in touch and just make sure he was all right. Um, but he's generally okay with technology, but mobile phones, that was just like a hurdle he could never get over. And so she's never, ever able to get in touch with him on his phone. And so we were talking about it. And she was like, can you just like have a look and see what's up with the phone? Like, you know, maybe there's, maybe this could be wrong with it, that could be wrong with it. I'm like, yeah, sure. So go and hang out with him. And I just said, oh, mum's asked me to look at your phone. Just check it's all right. She said it's not been working properly. And he goes, oh, okay. And so he gets up. And uh, a few minutes later, he comes back after having a little route around. And he hands me his phone. And uh, it kind of turns it on, and I'm having a look at it and thinking, oh, it could be this, could be that. And during the conversation, I say, well, how do you find using it? And he's like, well, I'll just keep it switched off most of the time. I'm like, ah, that's probably, <laughs> that's, that's the issue we're having here. You keep it switched off 90% of the time. Now, for some of us, the thought of a phone switched off is like cutting a limb off. It fills us with dread. Other side of the spectrum, maybe that sounds like paradise. A phone switched off, a silent phone, that sounds amazing. Some people maybe don't even have mobile phones in this room. Gasp, I know. But wherever you would put yourself on that scale, I'm sure that for all of us, we would agree that a phone switched off all the time isn't going to do what it's designed to do. It's been designed to be switched on and be active and connective. And like Papa, we have been given a gift he, like him being given that phone by my mom, the moment we decide to give our lives to Jesus, we are given a gift as well. Verse 13 says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to each of us when we give our lives to Jesus. He fills us more than we need, more than we can handle. He fills us to overflow, and that's what it says in the Bible. There it's just this amazing thing because it's like the presence, the power, and the person of God lives in each one of us. Wow. And when we're asking, who am I? When we're asking this question of, you know, who am I? Who have you made me to be? A big part of that is I am a vessel. Like it says in the Bible, my body is a temple in which the spirit of the living God has decided to make his home. Wow. Wow. That is a big thing. If you walked through these doors this morning hoping to hear something encouraging or uplifting or positive, flip and take that. The spirit of the living God lives inside you. That is amazing. And if you don't know Jesus today, he wants to live inside you too. God has made his home in us. You are marked in him with a seal. And really quickly, I just want to talk about this word seal because seal can mean lots of different things not the animal. The word seal tells us a lot about what's going on here because, you know, the seal could be like the end of like a legal document where it's like, this is the end. It's like a finished transaction. And so it's like, he's put his seal on you. And to me, what that says is this is a finished thing. When he's put his Holy Spirit in us, it's not something that he's going to change his mind about and take his spirit, remove his Holy Spirit from our lives, that he's always going to be with us which is amazing. A seal also represents security and protection. You know, in Jesus' tomb, they had a seal with the Roman guards kind of posted outside it. It's this idea that God is our defender. He's our protector. He's our security. This seal also represents ownership. You know, when you'd have cattle that would, ha that would be branded, 
you know, it, it t- tells about who the owner is. And so for all of us who believe in Jesus, it's like we don't have an external brand, if you like, but internally we do. His Holy Spirit lives in us. We're marked. We belong to him. We are his possession. Chuck's already spoke about that in this series. As carriers of his spirit, we start to see this really distinct picture being built up of what that really means to be God's people and filled with his spirit. There is nothing else that can compare to that. No possession we can have, no relationship we can be in, but God has permanently, generously, and powerfully filled us with his spirit. I think sometimes there's a danger, and I would see this in myself, where we can treat the Holy Spirit a bit like Papa's phone. It's in a drawer somewhere, hidden away, forgotten about switched off. And when we don't live in the reality that God's Spirit is is in us and is active and wants to, you know, work through us, when we don't do that, over time, we can just kind of forget about it and be like, yeah, yeah, I feel like God was, was with me once and it can feel like this distant thing. And eventually, we can get to the point of thinking, was God's Spirit ever in me? Is that even a thing? When we don't live in that reality, But what we know is that it's a seal. It has been placed in us and God doesn't remove his spirit from anyone. We've all been given this gift. Are you seeing him at work in your life? Are you seeing him use you? If the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself, well, how am I being filled? How's my battery? Is it charged? Or is the phone in the drawer somewhere? I just want to finish with this. Mike Pilavacci from Soul Survivor, he tells a story about a man in his church who continually God used in incredible ways. He was, you know, really prophetic. He would always have like spot on words for people. He would see, consistently would see people come to faith. I think over a number of years in his workplace, he led 400 of his colleagues to know Jesus, which is crazy. And Mike asked him one day, why don't we see God using us in the same way that he's using you. And this guy thought about it for a minute and he said, it's because I have a high expectation that God will use me and you don't. God loves people. He wants to bless them and I'm available for him to use me. So why wouldn't he want to? And when we think about it in those terms, God has put his spirit in each of us who are following Jesus. He wants the world outside those doors to know him. He wants his power to come. He wants his kingdom to spread. He's put himself, his living Holy Spirit in us. Why wouldn't he want to use us? It's so simple. I love that guy's security in who he is. God's spirit is with me. Why wouldn't he want this other person to be blessed, healed, or to hear about Jesus? He's just an ordinary guy. God doesn't choose the superstars. God chooses ordinary people. And he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, men, women, old, young. We've all been given the mobile. We've all been given the spirit. So why don't we say yes to what he's asking us to do? Just imagine the impact we would see if each one of us lived out of that place of knowing that God's Spirit is in us. It's actually in us and had an expectation of he's going to use me. It's so simple, but I think it's really powerful.
And so I think a great place for us to, to kind of, as we're kind of going into a ministry time in a minute, just to step into that and just to be like, God, I believe that you're with me. I believe your spirit's in me. And I'm sorry if it feels, if I've like maybe neglected that. But the amazing thing is God's like, I just want to fill you today. I want to fill you afresh. We come again and again to him. And he does that in him. It does that in us. And so to be distinctive people, we're purpose made. We're made to glorify him. And we're filled with his spirit. Why don't we stand?